The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. You can tell that as soon as we read the first little bit of this book, it was like... <laughs> like well, we're going to be able to say that all episode we're, we're long. We're going to be milking that for all it's worth. Um, Don't milk your ass. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to episode 174. Four <laughs> of the Legendarium podcast. Man, you suck at this. I always get the number <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah, because, you know, I have it in front of me. Well, today it's time to say goodbye to the lion, bye witch, and close the wardrobe as we finish up our Narnia <laughs> This was, I am regretting this. I am. It's time hey, to I can't up. wait for my chance to do this. I'm going to take it next time. We're going to finish up with the last battle, everybody. You have no one to blame it yourself. <laughs> You know, yep. this is the episode we should be doing video on because everybody needs to see Craig right now. So, he is regretting messaging me a little while ago. But everyone, before we get into doing the last battle, make sure you get on, join our discussions on Reddit at thelegendarium.reddit.com. And now I know what you're thinking. Craig, your voice is so much sexier this week hosting, and you'd be right, except for the part that it's not Craig, obviously. Uh, this week, the SS Legendarium is being piloted by yours truly, Captain Nose Whistle. I am your host, Ryan Bruckman, at least for the few minutes at the start here. I literally spent $800 getting rid of your nose whistle. (laughs) That is not a joke. I know. I know. And it's the best $800 you've spent so far. (laughs) All right. Well, why are we we doing this change? Uh, Well, never fear. He's just here. He's just super tired because he's been in the studio for the last five hours on Grindr. It's Craig Hanks. (laughs) Now you're really regretting some of the things you said earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many ways that grinder comment is going to come back to haunt him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when it comes to old shifty apes, you can't get any more shifty than Todd Wenty. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still not sure if he's a puzzle of an ass or an ass of a puzzle. It's Ken Johnson. <laughs> but at least I'm not a filthy Kalorman. <laughs> oh! Well played, sir. Well played. Well, okay. All right. Let me just let me just grind away at any rumors that may be coming up. Now, I um I yes, since this morning I I got this morning I went and rented a grinder, a concrete grinder to do the floor in the uh in the uh studio and unfortunately, yes, they do call it a concrete grinder. So there were many many jokes this week as I was prepping the floor about, you know, uh, how how many times I how many square feet I would have to grind and you know. Uh, so anyway, that took me way, way longer than normal. So I asked Ryan to write the insults and, um, well, first and last time, I suppose for everything. (laughs) I enjoyed it and I'm sure our listenership will forgive us anyway. (laughs) No, things are going really well out there just to keep everybody updated. Um, we are actually in the old studio space in the basement, uh, but I've taken all the foam out. So it sounds awful in here, but the uh, studio is looking pretty freaking good. Yep. Um, And so uh, I I think Ryan is actually almost done editing the third Oathbringer YouTube episode. Mm -hmm. So the one that aired two weeks ago, which if you haven't listened to, I'm kind of torn. I, I, on the one hand, I want to say, go listen to it right now. It was really, really good. 
Uh, on the other hand, I kind of want to say, well, the YouTube video is coming out pretty soon, and that might be an even better way to experience it. So you get video to my synopsis. Yeah, that that alone is worth the price of uh, admission. Anyway, so yeah, that's coming up. The price soon. of admission is free, Ken. Yeah, that's. Uh... But it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of pricing for admission, patreon.com slash legendarium. No, um, I Professional think segue. I think that's all I wanted to go over. I just wanted people to know where we're at with that. You, um, Anybody who has donated on uh, patreon.com slash legendarium or who did the GoFundMe campaign a few months ago, the money has gone to great use, and uh, we are very, very nearly there. Uh, once the floor is done which will be in the next couple of days. It is move-in ready, um, and uh, and I'm very, very much looking forward to that day. So uh, anyway, well, I think we're good. What do we want to start, Ryan? Yeah, it's I time guess to, it's, it's time your to... ship. <laughs> and I've already steered it into the rocky shores. <laughs> yeah, it's, let's go ahead and get into talking about the last battle. Um, we, I haven't really had time to write up a recap. Um, does anyone have a, okay. a, a brief? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, some kids go from England into Narnia and have an adventure and Bible. Okay. Pretty close. Wow. Why didn't we do that wow. with all the other episodes? Why did we wait till now? <laughs> no, um, this was, uh, congratulations everybody. This, you have now read um, the apocalypse for kids. <laughs> um, it, and I, I wish that it, I wish that it were a little more, that were more of a joke, but it's not. It's actually a pretty cheerful little apocalypse that we have here, um, but uh, I thought it was very appropriate for the series, and I was, uh, I, I liked it. I kind of liked what Lewis did here with making things, you know, it, it literally is the end of the world, and there are some awful things happening. There's death, and destruction, and mayhem, and... Uh, and Dogs and cats living together. And mass hysteria. <laughs> mass hysteria. And rebirth. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, everything goes really well, and I think this is a bit of commentary um, on uh, the, well, obviously, obviously it's a bit of commentary on the Christian story of the apocalypse. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a real concentration on the um, hellfire and damnation and all this stuff, but there's more to it than that. It is a story, I mean, can you use the word rebirth? The The Christian story of the apocalypse is one of um uh death by fire and rebirth from the ashes right um the world and its inhabitants and all that they they go through the end of the world uh but then everything is set right again that's that's the idea as i understand it anybody want to countermand me um no i think that's a wonderful uh wonderful description craig nicely done thanks why am i being nice to him today yeah, no kidding what's up with you okay todd what do you want to talk about you said this was just ripe for analysis yeah. Okay. This, this one, um, in fact, I've 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 spent a little bit of time doing uh, doing some research on some other on some commentaries outside of what we do, um, but I but I first want to talk about what I what I liked about the book, um, if I may. Um, it feels like it's two stories. Yeah, we invited you here to be quiet. <laughs> you never invite me to be quiet. <laughs> you you beg me to be quiet on occasion, but that's a different story. Um, it it's really it really feels like two stories, and and for me that was that was both um, a good thing and a bad thing. Um, the first the the first story is really the story of Tyrion and and one more one more Narnia adventure, but and then the second story, like you said, is the commentary on on what it means to what it means to die 
and what will happen when we die and all of those kinds of things. They were, to me, they felt very separate. They felt like they could be very separate kinds of stories. Um, almost as if we were, we, we could go through and we could read and we could stop where everybody goes through the door and we could just say, we could just skip all of the next what 100 pages and say, and they lived happily ever after. Um, and we probably would have been fine from the standpoint of a children's book. Um, but C.S. Lewis really wanted to talk about what happens after you die. What are, what are some of the ramifications of belief? What are some of the ramifications of faith and the lack of faith, the, the faltering of faith? And so I really like the, the fact that we then have this time spent being able to do that, but they're separate. Um, the, the, the fun story about what's going on with, with Tyrion trying to, trying, to, um, trying to set right what has gone wrong with Narnia underneath his very nose um, is, is, a, uh, is a fun read. Um, but it is not as intellectually challenging or as... Um, rife with level three kinds of conversations as the second half of the book. Oh, man. Oh, man. I want to get to Emeth in a bit, mm-hmm. but um, but I th- there's probably some other things to talk about. Uh, this book opens with uh, the story or the, the episode of the ape and the ass. Yeah. And, it you know, in... in in a Sanderson book or uh, Robert Jordan or so, you know, some modern fantasist, that would have been a prologue, not yes. chapter one. I, I don't know. That's not important at all. I mm-hmm. just, the thoughts, the thought crossed my mind when we were done with it and chapter two started, I was like, oh, hey, that was just a prologue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that has no deep significance, but uh, okay. Ryan, do you, uh, what, what happened with the ape and the ass? So uh, the ape shift, um, Basically pulls a con on everyone and makes it convinces this ass puzzle to pretend to be Aslan and he's the mouthpiece for As, Aslan. 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 We're, we've been through this. We're on. <laughs> this is what our seventh episode, something like that. No, 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 no. An ass. Oh, I see what you're saying. Being you, Craig was a, it was an attempt at comedy. Oh, got it. Human Christmas. Uh, I hope you got a little bit of. Okay, go on. Continuing. He's I hope go. our readers or our listeners <laughs> right. got a little bit out yeah. of that. He's going to go ape shift all over your <laughs> <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. Um, You've just been waiting to play that, haven't so, you? Know? They set up this con so that they can rally people around them to get... Um, stuff. Stuff, yeah. Basically just build yeah. up this Aslan's treasury, basically. Bananas so, and oranges. So And nuts. And, and the nuts. con works. The con works for a very long time. It works way better than he ever wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And then when it all, and eventually we get to the point where it all falls apart and he gets thrown through a door. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very quick synopsis of that story. Um, it's actually pulled from another uh, parable, not, not parable, um, fable by, I think it's one of Aesop's. Um, and it's almost a direct, like, like a one characters. Yeah, a one to one deal here. So he's Interesting. like, I'm going to put this in my story now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it works. I want anybody have a problem with that? I I guess maybe it's because I'm not that attached to Aesop's fables. Um, I, but I don't feel any sort of like, oh, how dare you plagiarize or whatever. I don't. I don't have a problem with it. A because it's um, Aesop's fable. I mean, everybody draws from from historical fables from mythology, and that it's it's not uncommon. And two, it's it, it's basically a children's book. It, that is directly from him to his his grandkids or something like that. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's not a big deal. The other thing that works for it, I think, is that um, 
he is he has pulled so many things from uh, from Greek from Greek mythology from Roman mythology. Um, he he pulls things from other places and combines them into Narnia and says, "See, all of those things that existed in other places exist in Narnia as well." So to pull an Aesop fable and and drop it into mm-hmm. the middle of it yeah. feels like he's just saying, "See, all of the things which are true and wonderful exist in Narnia as well." So so basically, the ape is setting up this kind of well, to, for lack of a better term, a stupid ass uh, to uh, to be or, a fake Aslan or a dumbass, a dumbass. Thank you. Well, but he's he not, never. But he, in Narnia, that means something. It, it he, does. This is it a does. talking ass. This so is true. He he's is a, a stupid ass, ass, not a dumbass. Um, <laughs> you can tell that as soon as we read the first little bit of this book, it was like, <laughs> like well, we're going to be able to say that all episode we're, long. We're going to be <laughs> milking that for all it's worth. Um, Don't milk your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I, uh, <laughs> that might get. That might end up on the cutting room floor, <laughs> either on the cutting room floor or on the on the Reddit flare list, or on your epitaph. <laughs> Difficult to say sorry. at this point. Um, I, sorry, I couldn't let that that, oh that slow pitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Let me go on. Let me go on. Let me go on before we spend the entire thing on <laughs> ass jokes. Uh, so he convinces the donkey. Uh, to wear a lion's skin and to kind of fake people into thinking that Aslan has returned. And because if Aslan has returned and nobody's seen him for hundreds of years, and if he's returned, then um, uh, then people will do whatever they think Aslan says. And so the ape uh, he says, I'm the mouthpiece of Aslan. I'm Aslan's prophet or whatever. Right. And uh, Aslan says, bring me more oranges and bananas please you know <laughs> and uh you, you think about does he's that, been gone for hundreds of years he's does that be sound hungry. it sounds stupid right it sounds kind of stupid but zoom out a little bit and and think of it out of children's story terms and think of it in real world terms and uh and how stupid are some of the requests of uh of our cultural overlords whether it be politicians or celebrities or whatever boy do they have some uh well some dumbass requests and <laughs> and and they are fulfilled by people who are taken in by the idea of power um you know and, and uh and appeasement yeah sure so anyway uh and you could even go further with that and you can actually get into christian stuff if you want to talk about false christs and all of that i don't know if i'm knowledgeable enough enough to do it but you can definitely talk about that like it, so anyway my point is it sounds silly who would listen to some you know, somebody who's very clearly in it for themselves saying that, oh, well, I'm the mouthpiece of God. Well, no, you can't see him, but well, he's, he's over there. Yeah. Can you, can you see his shadow? That's yeah. him. And I'm totally his mouthpiece now. Uh, pass around the collection plate well, it, or whatever. It, it can also be a statement against blind faith, meaning, you know, well, I, I believe in Aslan. Well, this Aslan's giving us some really weird directions but well it's aslan so i mean it you know got to do it and i don't know if there's actually anything into that but you know there's some really the and and in the story there's there's some interesting interplay with between tyran and the the mice and the rabbits and the i think it was the squirrel i can't i can't remember uh i can't remember all of them but they they came up and they said well yes everything we're being told doesn't sound like it would be from aslan but we dare not make a mistake right yeah um and that's yeah that's a big deal there's a really interesting um 
there's a, there's a really interesting uh, perception on that or, or, or perspective on that that I, I read at one point in time by James Allen talking about the idea that there are two paradoxes or two uh, imperatives that people try to live their lives by. One of them is to avoid error and the other is to embrace truth. And that sometimes when you are so busy trying to avoid error, you wind up missing truth entirely. It's a it's a fascinating essay. It's called The Will to Believe. Or I wonder if the opposite is true as well. Uh, he actually makes a case for both, that you have to be very, very careful about what it is that you're doing. And that if you take it, if if you take someone else's suggestion about what is true, you may wind up missing truth altogether because you're not perceiving it. You're not, you're not taking truth. You're not seeking truth. Mm -hmm. You're seeking an interpretation of truth. It's a, it, it, I I highly recommend the article. It's called the will to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, it was written, uh, it was written in the 19, early 1900s, uh, early part of the 20th century, um, and delivered as a philosophical essay, um, to the Brown College of uh, the Brown College Philosophical Society. Yeah, I don't care about all that. I'm sure you don't. But it's but the the thing that the thing that makes me think about it is that here's the imperative played out in front of us, and in many ways, um, children need that. They need someone to help them make that choice. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to avoid error? That's going to set you up. That's going to set up certain kinds of belief systems and and uh, behavior patterns. Are you going to pursue truth? That does the same. And we see what happens between these two. Tyrion is obviously focused on trying to find truth, while the dwarves are focused on avoiding error. And I hope that's a nice segue into talking I, about the dwarves. Is I'm it, not is sure. I'm not sure if I might flip that and reverse it, oh, much I'm... like Missy Elliott. Um, <laughs> when the dwarves, because I, I was, as I was reading, the dwarves, if, for anybody who's forgotten, they, it's, uh, the dwarves are for the dwarves. That's correct. Um, they are on nobody else's side in the battle. They are indiscriminately shooting up whoever with their bows and arrows. Um, and the dwarves are for the dwarves. We don't know if what you're saying about Aslan is true. We don't really care. We can't see him. So we're just going with what we can see, right? The dwarf, the dwarves are for the dwarves. Um, and vice versa. We don't care about Tash. We don't care if we don't care if either of them do or don't exist. We just want everybody to leave us alone. Um, and I saw a lot of myself in the dwarves as they were going about. And this idea that like, um, I, I, I tend to be so independent minded that I refuse to give my allegiance to anything, you know, like that's a problem of mine. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, uh, Except for you, Todd. What? What? Right. I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. I, I think you are right. Yes, I agree with you about your self assessment. Okay. Anyway, so that's that's the thing about me. That doesn't mean I'm going to go shoot unicorns like the dwarves. But you know, but I felt I get like it. this no, was kind it. of applicable, and so it it made me stop and go, huh? Well, I wonder, do I need to be a little more willing to, uh, to believe? You know, rather than reason or see or whatever it is, I don't know. That's a that's a thing for me. James Allen in that in that essay says that just because we have not been convinced to believe something by our merely physical faculties doesn't mean that it is un that it is inappropriate to believe. It's a fascinating essay. I if if these if you some of just these read questions it? we've got like twenty or forty minutes left. Do you want to just read it? it? No, it takes a lot longer than that. Um, <laughs> it's a big essay, but uh, but it really is. 
<laughs> did I stumble into something? Sorry no, about that. he just thought you said big ass. I don't. I, I did not. Do I it. stayed away from the ass comments too. <laughs> anyway. I've been trying. I've been trying to avoid since Craig says he's a dwarf making the making a joke about and my axe. You know. Okay. Okay. Too close. Anyway. Anyway, it's. Um, if, now if, that I've derailed a perfectly good conversation, if, if that conversation <laughs> job is, complete, if that if that uh, if that is interesting to anybody, then you know I encourage it. Yeah, I encourage yeah. checking it out. Uh, okay, so Ken, when uh, when it becomes clear that to to King Tyrion that something crazy is going on, he brings the he he calls for the heroes of Narnia. Uh, yes. These children who show up in all of their stories and, and help deliver the land from evil. And he says, I need your help. And Aslan, send them or whatever. Right. And he pretty much does. So he he sees he them. Yeah. He, he has a vision of them in a railway car. And then they, two of them, Jill and Eustace from the previous book, are right. transported to Narnia where they learn what's going on and they see something once they kind of get their troop together they see something in the woods what do they see um now I, i'm like uh it has a bird head well they they see tosh yeah yeah or tash i didn't take your pick uh they they see who is the he's the anti-aslan he's you know he's the devil basically and and uh He's really, he's the god of the, the Kalormans, and he actually, uh, through six books, were, you know, oh, he's, he's the myth of, of Tosh and, and everything, and this is the first time we get to see him, and he comes in as a smoke, and he's got a bird's head and forearms, and he's, he's really kind of the, the embodiment of what would traditionally be maybe a, a polytheistic deity i don't know if that's what i, I took it as you know like as the whatever, Egyptians with whatever the it is and, yeah yeah whatever it is uh it freaked the crap out of me when i was a kid because like you know i'm reading this kid uh, as a kid and I, i'd been to all the sunday school lessons and stuff and so i'm, I'm reading this and and uh everybody's talking about tash right. through you know the horse and his boy especially and, and some mm -hmm. other places they're talking mm -hmm. about tash this and tash that and i'm like well yeah sure but in these books he's just a false god right and yeah. so he's just an he's just an idler representation yeah, he, yeah exactly and then suddenly he freaking shows up in the woods and i about crap my pants right and, you and, know, and at and seven I years see, old and i can see how that would be because mm -hmm. even as it showed up here i thought oh I can see that freaking out some kids. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because you know, he comes in, he comes in dark and scary, and he's got the menacing voice. And So is, is Lewis doing something, like, is he making a broadside against a whole bunch of other religions because you have the multiple arms and that smells a lot like something it, out of, uh, you know... The goddess Shiva. Exactly, yeah. something out of India. Uh, the beak face sounds something like something Egyptian, like you said, or, ten. or something Aztec either way. I right. Mean, but it, it does kind of smack as, um, you know, all of these, all of these poly, I'm going to say it again, polytheistic religions, you know, that, that come in and pervert and are wrong. And I, according, according to, him, to according Lewis. to him, not right. according to him, you know, and, and saying, here are all of these false beliefs that that are just mash compelling them all, mash them and, all up throw them in the woods yeah exactly yeah. but i mean they're they're anti aslan and, and then i think he he really smacks of more relativism a little bit also when he he brings in uh fake aslan and, and shift and they say tash is just he's just aslan he's another name for aslan it's it's not 
different. It's not bad. They're all the same. And um, the Tashland, the, the Tashland is what he calls them. And, and all of the Narnians kind of go along with it. And this is something that I, I don't have a definitive thing to say about this. And so I don't want to give the wrong impression there. But how often do we hear or have we heard in the last 15, 20 years uh, when it comes to um, especially because we're broadcasting from the U.S. and there was the whole 9-11 thing. And so there was all this discussion about Islam in the U.S. And how many times have we heard, well, we all pray to the same God, right? That is a thing that has yep. been said. And and so Lewis here kind of makes it apparent this has been said for a long, long time, right. longer than that. But it's something that I've heard over and over and over again since uh, roughly since 9-11, right? Um, and that's very interesting. Like I said, I don't have anything like, I don't have an opinion on that to share right now. Um, but it is a relevant point to think about it. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that all these Abrahamic religions pray to the same God or do they, you know, did they separate and, you know, do you want to decide that it is different gods? I'm not coming down anywhere on that. You guys are welcome to duke it out if you want the hate mail. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm perfectly content to live and let live. Yeah. I, one of the things that I recognize is that uh, even in C.S. Lewis' time, this this was beginning to be um, something that was being discussed, that was being contested, that was being hotly uh, disputed. But it also goes along with uh, another, another theme that he was dealing with. Uh, he and Tolkien both were dealing with uh, and that is a, a an increasing reliance on secularism and on uh, humanistic perspectives rather than on religious and faith perspectives. Um, and in, in one of the articles that I read, uh, they said that during this period of time, there were a lot of intellectuals that were that were moving much more toward the secularistic train, except Lewis and Tolkien, who were advocating the idea that faith is still could have a place in modern society. So it's it's interesting that while he's while he's presenting all of these issues that we find still so rife and so rampant today um in his time they were they were being uh they were being very much uh, the 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 beginnings of what we see today as a as a different kind of a battleground were being formed yeah uh there's something that comes up i'm shifting gears here wildly there's something that comes up a lot in commentary of uh, narnia and that is Susan. Yes. And did Tolkien, or sorry, Tolkien, yeah, can you tell where my mind generally goes? Sorry. Was Lewis uh, anti-woman or anti, you know, did he have some sort of uh, crazy gender normative ideal and, you know, all this Maybe stuff? Maybe he just had a bad ex. Maybe he just had a bad <laughs> Named ex. Named Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but as we all chuckle, that's just awful. <laughs> so Ryan, walk, walk me through what happens with Susan in this book. I actually can't tell you what happens with Susan. I don't remember. Oh, you don't? I don't. It's, it is she, pretty uh, quick. It is a pretty quick throwaway bit. In, in that but, little, in that little vision that, uh, that Tyrion has, he sees the seven friends of Narnia and, and, uh, I caught that really quick. Like seven, seven, wouldn't, wouldn't there be, I, I had forgotten. I'd forgotten about magician's nephew. Because so I'm yeah, like, there's Diggory who's and Polly, the seventh, right? And then there's 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 Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, and Eustace and Jill. I'm like that. That is eight to me, but there's only seven. And turns out that Susan, is, she's forgotten yeah, Narnia because she doesn't poor, think it was real. Poor yep. practical Susan has grown up and and grown out of her belief of Narnia and treats it 
remembers it as, oh, that was a fun game we used to play. And, he, and, and now and, she's now she's into fashion and right. nylons and stockings and and okay, all those. It never says nylons and stockings. Uh, he does nylons. say something about nylons yeah. or something like that. Does Actually, he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Did I miss he that? Goes, I he might goes miss out that. Of his, Sorry about it. He goes out of his way to point out something to point uh, out that ultra she's ultra feminine, the, yeah. you know, like nylons or whatever. And she's into the the, the frivolous. I, I, this is my term: the frivolous trappings of. Of modern, the modern woman That's basically what I is what it feels like he's deriding. So this, did you have something you were going to say, Ryan? Nope. Okay. <laughs> You're going to be careful on this one. And I think that's good. But I, the reason I bring this up is because I had read this a uh, while ago before I ever started this book. And so I was really watching out for this because I remembered that that was a thing, but I didn't remember any of the specific language. So I was curious when I got to that, what it would be. And I... I can definitely see why people might um, take umbrage a little bit with the language that he used. Um, I, I get it. I do. But ultimately, as I was reading it, he does say, you know, she was kind of more more uh, impressed by nylons and lipsticks or whatever it was, uh, and not so much with the things that matter. Um, but as he goes on and describes this, I felt like it became pretty clear that he wasn't talking about like, oh, women are so vapid. No. He was just saying right. modern life is pretty vapid. Yep. She is a woman. Um, and that, you know, that was, and she got caught up in modernity, so to speak. And so that was kind of his way of conveying that. If you want to say that that's sexist or the language that he used was sexist, I'm not really going to fight very hard against that. Um, but I'll say yeah, I, I kind of cut him some slack when I got to that part because I was expecting it to be worse than it was. Mm -hmm. So you want the official. She's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She always was a jolly sight too keen on being grown up. Yeah. Anyway. Which, by the way, I, I'm I'm quick to, to point out or to say, oh, come on, that's. Uh, you know, give him a little bit of flack for for um, describing her as that, but at the but, same time, he says something there that uh, that uh, I, I kind of agree with. Her whole idea is to race to the silliest time of one's life as quick as she can, and then stop as long as she can. Basically, he's he's um, giving her static for wanting her too fast to be grown up and not spend enough time being a kid. And I, I kind of agree with that a little bit in the sense that like at least, yeah, it, people are, are too quick to be grown up and too slow to enjoy, you know, the, the moment, enjoy their being. So I, I don't, one thing I just, I want to be careful of as we, in any book series, not just this one. Um, I think sometimes we attribute that because an author has written things a certain way that they are specifically making commentary on the, on that something whereas it's we may be throwing our own we're taking it sure, in and sure. interpreting it that way sure because just off of that quote alone if you just read that by itself without any other context sure it might lend a little bit to saying that it feels because it feels like there's a tone of that this is frivolous right. and not important but it, i don't necessarily agree with that that he's saying oh she's you know it's kind of it, he's saying that's all she cares about Right. She yeah. she has no place left in her heart for things like Narnia. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I I like what you're saying, right? Um you, you take that to the bank. How do you feel? I can't open a savings account with that, so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but it is a red letter day. <laughs> no, I, I I do agree. Sometimes we bring our own baggage. When I when I read 
the language like that. What that sounds more like to me is not somebody who is taking aim at women or whatever specific thing. It sounds more like somebody who's just been, he's a man of his time. Yeah. Well, right. and, and he writes like that. And so. this is still in the children's portion of the book. If we're if we're talking about if we're talking about looking at these uh, at this as two different kinds of stories, this is still in the children's portion, being written for children and being perhaps a cautionary tale. Hey, don't try to grow up too fast; it'll come in its own time. Uh, because his his commentary was Susan was always rushing to get to there, and then once she got there, she was always rushing to something else. She was never in her place mm-hmm. in her time. And so, if it's being written as a children's book, as a children's story. Uh, and as encouragement to his children, his grandchildren, children in general, be children. Take the time to be children. You are just fine where you are. You don't have to change. Well, he he still receives a lot of criticism to this day of painting her basically as uh, as anti-feminist or, or as a cautionary cautionary tale against feminism or yeah. against. And that modernism. might be that might be what Ryan is saying. Like people yeah. are reading things into it that aren't there. You're grabbing onto it and trying to make a banner out of it to, yeah. to rally your tribe around. And it may not have been intended that way. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes authors and people, we say things, we do things that carry an unintended meaning and we can change and learn and grow. But I don't necessarily know that that's the intent here. Yeah. Um, but it's something that at least, hey, if, if it's you feel that that might be the case and that's how the message is received... Then you know what? It's worth at least taking a minute to say, okay, why is it? Why do you feel that way? And what can I do to make sure that that's not, you know, the is it something that I do I agree with it? Do I not agree with it? And what can I do to help not per- continue this train of thought along? Yeah, the way? absolutely. There, there is a small uh, fan fiction segment of the community out there that um, tries to redeem Susan a little bit. Really? Yeah. There, you, you isn't can that what the devil it? wears Prada? The movie is that exactly. <laughs> Susan, wow. Susan wears Prada. No, you, I, Susan is Prada. I, I found a couple of stories about uh, about her going back to Narnia and, and kind of reconciling with her family. I, uh, there are a couple of stories, a couple of stories that um, basically paint her as yeah, well. She's feminist, and that's all right, you know that. He actually, there was uh, a lot, a few stories that Lewis was going to write a story called Susan of Narnia, uh, but he died before he could. Hmm, so and that and that's where it kind of. S- spawns off of it. a lot of people pick that up and gone oh, well i can write susan of narnia i know we've got i know we're focusing on susan because of being the one who the one who's the strayed, one who's singled out yeah. the one who's straight here but i have a i had a question about it's popped up in the last couple books but why do we not just deal with the pevensies the whole series why is why is it not just those four kids? Why, why did bring he feel in the, the necessary to move on to Eustace and Jill, and then to step back and go back in with Diggory? Like, well, if you're doing a prequel, it makes a lot of sense. I can, I mean, yes, it makes a little more sense to go Diggory, but I, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing or wrong, but I'm curious because nowadays, you this, look at these series, and, it would be and, like you're Harry Potter would, in every single yeah, movie. I, yeah, it's I, not I, the next series, you know, season of Gryffindors coming through or whatever. Yeah. I, I I think for me one of the one of the things that made this work is that he in introducing Eustace, um, he needed to have somebody that he could redeem differently than he redeemed Edmund the first in the first book, and mm-hmm. they dealt with that when they were talking about um, Eustace becoming the dragon and Eustace being redeemed. It, all, all of those kinds of themes were were dealt with differently with Eustace than they were dealt with with Edmund. Edmund they were they were 
they were taken care of very quickly and very cleanly. But with Eustace, we get an opportunity to see a little bit more about what is involved with that. And I think that, again, based on some of the things that I've, that I've read, indicating that he didn't really have all of this mapped out in advance. Right. So that once he introduces Eustace, you know, perhaps he said, well, you know, I'd like to work with Eustace a little bit more, so we'll keep Eustace involved in the story. I wonder if it could be something that simple. Yeah, and that's probably what I've, what I am most uh, leaning towards myself, is the idea of the Pevensey's character arc has completed by the end of, at least the core four, by the end of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, you, it's pretty much there. You come back and bring back um, Edmund and... Um, Edmund Lucy. and Lucy. And Lucy. You get another little journey, but it's not really a, an alteration of character yep. much. It's just, just another a snapshot. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. And we're they, re, they return to the characters they were when they were in Narnia as kings and queens. Well, yeah. I would point out that for a lot of people, this won't work. And they'll say, no, it should have been the Pevensies all the way through, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, how many TV series have we seen peter out? Because the same characters, like you said, Ryan, these characters arc is completed. Mm-hmm. And then there are three more seasons left to go, right? And we stick with them. And it gets boring, and there's the writers are struggling to you know create some sort of conflict when in reality the story is over. Um, so pick a new pick new characters and tell new stories. Right. That's- one of, one of my favorite examples of this is Chuck, well, one of my all time favorite TV shows. I just adore Chuck. Uh, but the but the story was over at the end of season three, and then you had yeah. four and five to get through. And I mean, they had their merits, but ultimately it wasn't very fun or engaging because the story was over. I think there's a, I don't watch this myself, but I know enough about it. An example of a series that has done the opposite is the American Horror Story from yep. on MC is where... Any if, anthology yes. t- yeah. type thing, yeah. You're coming in and each season is, here's this arc, here's this, and then when this is done, we're moving on to the next one. And I suppose that's why this is the Chronicles of Narnia rather than the Chronicles of the Pevensey Children. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. So yeah. it works that way. Yeah, that's a good... Good thought to bring up. I call it the Firefly phenomenon, by the way. The reason Firefly was so good and so is still so popular is because it ended after 14 episodes and everybody clamors, well, we should have had a second season. We should have had a third. I, if you had a second, third, fourth, fifth season, it wouldn't have been as good. Probably he would have run out of ideas or things would have gotten watered down. And Maybe. No. Maybe. I, I think. Uh, no. I'm send all the hate mail to. <laughs> no. I want I'm just to. I want to talk about Emmeth the Kellorman. Kalorman, 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 Kalorman. So Kalorman. he uh, he's a soldier. He's a Kalorman soldier and uh, fights in the battle and everything. And then when the so Tash has come and the good guys are kind of watching the bad guys and there's a, a, there's a battle. They're taken prisoner and then people are getting thrown into a stable. Stable. And they're getting thrown through this door and um and they. At first, nobody is quite sure what to expect. There's a prissy little cat who thinks that he's that he knows exactly what's going on. He goes in, gets the tail scared off of him, uh, and dies. And the language. Now he runs off. What? And the language scared. Out oh of him. right, yeah. He gets that's right. He becomes a regular a dumb, dumb becomes cat. Becomes a dumb cat. Yeah. Um, and then so people are freaking out, like, oh my gosh, Tash really is in here because that's what's being told. Like, Tashland. Tashlan, yeah. Our our god is in here, and you, you can go see him, but you shouldn't. Well, anyway, there's a soldier, a Kalorman soldier, Emeth. He says, I have served Tash my entire life. I am not going to miss this opportunity. Even if it kills me, I am going to go see him. And so he, uh, so he goes into the stable, instantly dies, 
we don't really see that. We just see that he goes in and um, and there's some trickery involved and another body is thrown out or something. Yeah. But in reality, we learn later in the book, he died instantly and uh, goes to paradise, essentially, where we meet him later in the book. And this, aside from Eustace and his dragon moment, this is the bit that has stayed with me the longest through any anything else in the book. More than the stone table, more than the magic rings, more than, well, certainly anything out of the silver chair. Uh, but there's this <laughs> bit where they meet Emmeth the Kalorman and he's he's a little confused. What am I doing here? I yeah. saw this great big lion. I thought he was uh, lovely and majestic and I knew that this was God. But I you know I went up to him and I said I I served Tash my whole freaking life. What what am I doing here? Shouldn't I not be here? And Aslan says and I'm paraphrasing out of off memory here he says, anything that you did to serve Tash. I take to me the services which thou hast done to Tash, for I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Yeah. So anything, yeah. So basically, you were actually a very, very good person, yep. and uh, everything that you did in the service of Tash that was good was actually for me. Um, and I, it's, it's just an astoundingly beautiful moment. Um, where Lewis gives us an idea of what may be awaiting people in the afterlife, at least his interpretation of what uh, what God's judgment and mercy would look like uh, when people go and meet him. Um, I, and I wondered, not only is this moment really, really beautiful, uh, but I wondered if it's something of a something of a broadside against evangelism. This is a problem with a lot of, or for a lot of people where, uh, okay, so we're all sitting in a basement in the state of Utah. If you didn't know, we're all a bunch of Mormons. I think every one of us served a two-year mission. And the idea here, uh, as missionaries, we were evangelizing. We were trying to tell people about what we believed and, and try to lead them to that belief as well. Uh, we did that for quite a while. And... The idea here is if you believe something so strongly and you really believe that it's true, you have the truth, well, then you have a duty to share that and to convince everybody else that you can that this is the truth. Um, there, I think that this is a, uh, this is a, an intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally defensible position to take. <laughs> I don't have a problem necessarily with this, but I wonder if this is Lewis kind of speaking against that a little bit and saying, look, it's not your job to sort everybody else out. Yeah. Yep. Right? It's not your job. Aslan will do that. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, like I said, I don't really have a problem with evangelism. I think it's a defensible position to take. Um, but I can see that this might be the correct course also or instead of. Uh, this is a this is a question that's come up a lot with um, my family, um, for for various reasons. I am a um, I am a first generation uh, convert, if you will, and so much of my family has not chosen to follow uh, what I have chosen, and so we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of interesting uh, emotions. 
uh, we have had I've had some very interesting uh, conversations, both both face to face and from a distance about what religion means and about what is meant by um, things that my family has heard about my belief system and things that they have heard that um, sometimes they've been they've heard out of context and other times they've heard um, in context, but they don't. But without understanding, but without, but without a, an understanding of perhaps some some underpinnings, um, it has caused me um, no end of sleepless nights, as I have tried to figure out how to express what I feel without sounding like one of those evangelizing individuals who say, "My way or the highway," you know, or, "my my way or hell," yeah. um, and and as I, I I had a similar experience that you did, Craig, when I. And I and I thought about that in context of the eleven dwarves that were thrown in, mm-hmm. who remained convinced that they were in a dark stable with no light. Um, when when Aslan does a miracle for them and gives them food and drink, the most wonderful food they could have, the most wonderful drink they could have, they were convinced that they were eating muddy leftover. Uh, food that was littered in the straw of a stable. They have uh, all of these kinds of negative beliefs about what's going on. And so as a result, could not see everything that uh, Emmeth did. And, and, and this, this conversation, um, and I, and I like calling it a conversation, this conversation about, about good and evil, about, about whom we serve and how we serve um, comes down to at least in the in the depiction of this, and for me, comes down to a, a single question: Were you were you attempting to live with integrity? Were you attempting to live in a way that was um, that was uplifting of of people around you? And it seems like that's the kind of deal. In fact, uh, at one point, this this Kalorman soldier makes a, a comment that I found very interesting and very funny when he says. We were just come into Narnia in disguise, and I was offended that we would be uh, so so uh, underhanded as to come in in disguise when Tyrion had disguised himself as a Kalorman a little bit earlier in order to get information. I found that a very interesting juxtaposition, <laughs> right. um, but but very much about this idea that this is a conversation ultimately that each individual has with deity. At least this is what this is what I took from it. Um, that that C.S. Lewis is presenting this, and it and to me it spoke, it resonated very clearly. This is a conversation we're all going to have, and if we had it in Narnia, well, then you may know some things that allow you to live your life differently. And if you didn't get a chance to have it in Narnia, then you have it with him after. And I I um, found um, some 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 interesting perspectives about that 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 resonated very well with me. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really it's a it's a very touchy subject. It's a very and and quite frankly, um, from any organized religion uh, perspective, Church of England, Catholic Church, uh, Mormon Church, Evangelical Church, yeah. Baptist Church, um, Islam, um, from from almost any organized religion position, um, this is a very uh, revolutionary, uh, a very inflammatory position to take. Well, and it, he takes it with grace, and I like it. it for me, it's very. Uh, stress reducing, I guess, you know, the, this idea, like I said, that if you believe something so strongly, it, you must share it. And there are people who take that really seriously and they're very annoying on the bus. Right. <laughs> um, 
I don't there, know. I don't ride the bus very often. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but there are people who take it so seriously that they can't. They they feel uh, not just obligated but compelled to yeah. constantly be evangelizing. Yeah. And uh, okay, that's not me. However, but I do find that this would be a very freeing concept to somebody like that. Like, yes, you should have conversations about your religion, the things that you hold most dear. Absolutely. Uh, but most especially with those who are closest to you. Sure. That would probably be better. And just understand that if you believe in an all-powerful God who has a perfect concept of both justice and mercy, that he's going to take care of the rest of the world, you know, you're not going to upset his thing. Yeah. Taking a step back to Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe here, when it comes to evangelizing and and sharing a belief system, whatever it may be, I think you should be taking a few minutes to look and say, which of the gifts of Aslan am I using? Is my belief system that I'm using? Am I the sword, the dagger, the bow, or the healing? Elixir. The elixir. What am I using it as right now? Because there is a time for each to use it as each. Um, Agreed. But I would hope that most heavily would be the elixir um, that you're using it as and that you deal first with yourself before you try and wound somebody else and then fix them with the elixir. Like, <laughs> right. Well said. Fix. Stab fix. Well said. Damn, Ryan. Man, I'm dropping some moral bombs here. Uh, okay, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, anything else that you guys want to say? Let's move into final thoughts. Um and uh, let's start with Todd. Sure. Um, as much as I have enjoyed um, this book and enjoyed coming back to the series, um, I have to admit that I got tired of hearing further up and farther in or whatever it was. <laughs> sure. I was tired of that. Um, and and quite and in in all fairness, I uh, again thank heaven for Audible. Um, I I do a lot more listening as I as I ride and and trying to scribe notes afterwards. Um, so as I, as I heard the characterization of, of this farther up and farther in, I, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm done. I, I, I get it. We're going to go farther up and farther in, but this became a battle cry. And as much as it was annoying to me, it felt very much like a, um, a statement of hope, uh, a statement of encouragement. Um, believe it or not, I started to think about the Battlestar Galactica, the new Battlestar Galactica, where they say, so saves me all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. It wouldn't be hard to believe me. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Ripley. Um, but it was a, it, it, at, at first it was very annoying, but as, as it continued on the idea that there is more to learn, there is more to see, there is more to discover, um, was, was an interesting way for this to end. I thought, um, I enjoyed it. I, I will admit that I shed at least one tear. How about that? <laughs> Ken, I, I shed zero tears and I was zero surprised that they were dead at the end. But, so congratulations um, ken you win all the prediction prizes right so uh, here's here's my last you went to sunday school three times minimum exactly here's here's my uh here's my final question for you guys did the pevensey children found hogwarts oh gosh perhaps that this? was no but that was a, that was a thing on that's a thing on discussion uh, threads along the interwebs. Is uh, and, and it's not Edmund would certainly have been Slytherin, I think. Yeah, Peter's Gryffindor. Well, Edmund Slytherin. Lucy is uh, the, the Lucy is Hufflepuff. 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 Susan would and be Susan Ravenclaw. Was Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, the the prevailing 
thought is no, of course not, because they they lived after Hogwarts was founded. Everybody talking about these like these were <laughs> real, right? Oh, Hogwarts was founded long before. We have to Narnia. connect all fantasy stories you know, into but, one giant fantasy universe. It, exactly, and the Dark Tower. But but it is it is neat to see the the similarities between the four and and uh, J.K. Rowling has acknowledged that she's drawn she drew some inspiration from uh, C.S. Lewis in in writing harry potter so uh, there could be a little bit to that oh that's that's fine if she says oh yeah i kind of patterned the four houses off the pevensey children i would call bs on bs on that so fast yeah i don't think she actually said that directly uh there might be some um similarity between eustace scrub and and dudley dursley well, okay but... can one final question okay for you is that really your final Narnia thought? I got nothing else from the I'm I'm glad we're done with it. <laughs> That's my final. Okay. I, mean, I just thought I thought that was interesting, and plus, you know, all I, right. I I thought the connections, the similarities, were kind of neat. And ladies and gentlemen, so. Ken Johnson burying Narnia. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, Ryan, Narnia. final thought. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised we did not touch much on the end of Narnia, the actual apocalypse of everything closing out, and the Pevensey, and um, the fact that they died. That's and true. the fact that because C.S. That's Lewis a... destroyed his whole creation. He was so tired of Narnia, he killed it all. <laughs> well, the fact well, that but he, he, re- he rebuilt it, though. The the desire and, and the need to close out everything at the end of the series, I mean, yeah, you can, always, you can always come back and do timeline things in between, do whatever, but he felt a need to actually show the end of this world, which is a very odd thing to try and concept to, to share with a child especially and then dealing with death um and the fact that they died in that um the the jolt that they felt when they came into narnia was them being in an accident which killed them like yeah. that is a pretty heavy thing to just stick in here and then and then brush past yeah somewhat brush past i mean you don't really need to go into tons of depth with it but i kind of expected there to be a little bit more ways for children to connect with that and understand maybe understand the concept a little bit more i I think he gives a pretty good lead-in when when they're having a conversation in the woods jill and eustace are having a conversation about oh my gosh what if you know what if we die here does that mean we die in england or do we wake up and they have this whole conversation about what if we die and it's not that they get really deep in that but i do think it's a good prep um, mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, nice what, foreshadowing. What am I? Yeah, for for kids, you're kind of um, I forgot the word I'm looking to use, but you're priming kids to to say, well, people people do die. These people might die, you know. Yeah. And so I, there's at least that. I do appreciate there's a time and a place for both. I appreciate when an author will in. Uh, wow, I can't even think of a single word here. Um, introduce very simple word <laughs> when an author will introduce a, a concept like this and provide enough information for you to start thinking about it especially with children because if you are reading this with your children it's a chance to start a conversation but if you don't have that leaving it open-ended can be i think a little bit troublesome for a child to leave something like that so open mm-hmm. versus coming in on the other hand the opposite side of it is to come in and dictate this is how it is believe my words which he doesn't do here either. Yeah, right. but. Yeah. Anything yeah. else you want to say on that subject? No, that was, I mean, that was my big thing here at the end, just realizing that that's a the a heavy piece to deal with. And then as a whole, um, this book, Narnia, 
you know what? There's a reason it's lasted as long as it has and in the culture that it has because sure. there are relevant lessons and there are relevant things to take from it and the storytelling is good. Yeah. It's yeah. not bad storytelling. It's not super original every single time, but it's not it's it's well worth the time to to read with someone especially if you have the opportunity to read it with a child. Yeah. Um well it, said. Indeed. And it, like you said this may not travel as well. Uh, geographically mm -hmm. uh, it, definitely this book uh, is firmly entrenched in Christendom uh, but there it will stay until called forth uh, no I'm thinking again juxtaposing this with uh, Tolkien stuff where you know it's translated into a million other languages and you've got you know people at tribes beginning to adopt the Eye of Sauron in the jungles of uh, of vietnam or whatever like there's some crazy stuff that happens because it's so universally applicable this may not be the case with narnia mm -hmm. uh but yeah definitely in western culture this has survived for a long time for a good reason and will right uh okay so my final thought um todd you alluded to this earlier but uh, thank goodness for the audible versions there's it's well it's sold on audible now i mean this was produced 20 30 years ago whatever i can't remember who did it but uh, a lot of the narrators, they got some really great narrators they for did. this series. And so they if you've did. never listened to it, go ahead and listen to it. This one was Patrick Stewart did The Last Battle, and yeah. he did a great it was, job. It he did really a good. great job. Uh, so do that. And I will say, Ryan, you're right. We didn't talk a lot about the very end, the bitter end of Narnia. But uh, I did really enjoy that. It's a little bit, from a structural perspective, it's a little bit weird that the book essentially ends two-thirds of the way through um and yeah. every and everybody dies but unlike hamlet there's another third left to go mm -hmm. and uh, and we go on this very interesting journey up uh, what what's it todd what's the phrase further up and further in. further up and further in um and then there's a mountain range and everything if you just follow this mountain range it connects to every single world and so they see england which is apparently its own world right it's not earth it's like <laughs> no no, no it's there's england, england over yes. there i love that um, and and that's, nobody ever saw America. Hmm. And that's fine. That's and uh, to the, <laughs> I I, the, I will insert this right now, um, to the person who kept telling me that Lewis was Irish. Uh, yes, I did forget that early on, early on in the series. But it's things like this that make me go, yeah. But who cares? By the end of his life, <laughs> dude's English. We can let it go. Um, anyway, <laughs> what uh, what was I going to say? Oh yes. So it's this great image of the mountain range and everything connecting to it. And the length of all of this journey through Aslan's country reminds me we really, 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 really need to read Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle is a short story by Tolkien and uh, it tells the story of a man named Niggle and he dies and goes to the afterlife. Uh, and it's a really, really interesting allegory. It's one of the only, if not the only, allegories that uh, Tolkien ever produced. And it's fairly short, it's fairly to the point, but it's uh, extremely well-drawn allegory. And it's very interesting and uh, kind of, you know, there are some echoes 
between the two, between, you know, the journey through the afterlife and the last battle and Leaf by Niggle. We really need to read that one. There are a bunch of people, I guarantee it, who are yelling into their car stereo. Yes, yes, absolutely. You need to read it. So <laughs> let's put it on the just because just yeah. for those of you who are shouting that you ought to know, I'm getting some very quizzical looks. Just having said the word niggle several, several times. Um, I heard so, it all the time. I'm not the one that was on Grinder for five hours. So. <laughs> when, when, I lived in, when I lived in England, all the time, heard it all the time. Yeah. So I'm very used to it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we've definitely got to read that. So, ladies and gents, that wraps up Narnia. I uh, hope you had a good time. And uh, to the person who made this all possible, there were many votes actually for Narnia uh, that ended up putting it over the edge. But Narnia, the reason we read Narnia is largely thanks to one person who shall remain unnamed. Uh, but to that person, I hope you're happy. We freaking read Narnia for you, okay? Gosh. Chances uh, are they didn't even listen. So we yeah, can change that. I yeah, if That's you're right. if you didn't if you didn't listen uh, well, if you didn't listen to this, you'll never hear this, but shame on you. Shame. Shame. I say whatever, we got your money anyway. Yeah, well that's true. <laughs> so ton of votes came in from this single person for narnia so i hope they enjoyed it and for all of the rest who kind of put narnia over the top because it did need some help i uh, hope you enjoyed it as well and to all of the rest of you who hated this um well we're, it's we're over done. yeah we're done so yeah welcome back welcome back to the legendarium <laughs> which is kind of i think that's how we'll uh, start our next episode not the next one, but uh, the next series we're doing is KKC King Killer Chronicles. King Killer Chronicles. I think it's I think it is the King Killer Chronicle, but I am not a hundred percent certain on that. We're gonna have to look it up. Uh, but anyway, that is the next. I'll one. care about it when the author seems to care about finishing his book. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, we we will have lots of things to say about You're this. Not alone. Um. Anyway, so I hope you're looking forward to that. I. I know that many, many of you are looking forward to this. And so am I. Uh, it'll be the return of Kyle. I believe that that series is going to be me, Ryan, Ken, and Kyle, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so we will see you for that. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, go read Narnia and enjoy it over and over again. Um, and until then, hit up uh, patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show and uh, also, definitely go to thelegendarium.reddit.com. Ryan, do you have anything you want to say since this is your boat before we, before we my go? My boat sank so long ago in this episode. <laughs> I was just debating whether or not to finish the episode off by, by recalling back to my witch. <laughs> is the witch's name Felicia? Or? Bye, Felicia. Um, okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye-bye.